on tonight's episode of the Yoga 360 Podcast. There are so many classes where I'm teaching, but really in a sense talking to myself because of all the things that might be going on in my life about letting go and whatnot. And as we sort of were talking about before, just knowing, trying to convey that to other students, like, hey, I know what you're going through because I'm literally going through it myself as well. This is the Yoga 360 Podcast. We bring you knowledge, inspiration, and resources to help you live your best life. We connect with students, teachers, and experts from the community to both educate and have fun conversations from the heart. If you enjoy the benefits of yoga, value your health and well-being, and enjoy connecting with others, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Yoga 360 Podcast. I am Steve Cotton. And I'm Karen Amy. Tonight, Karen and I are joined in studio by another one of Yoga 360's instructors, Michelle Lipnicki. Yeah, hey, Michelle. Excited to have you here. Michelle's um, a returning teacher. She taught here years ago and now is back, and we're so happy to have you on staff with us. Yes, thank you. So typically when these episodes start, I would read the bio of the instructor off the website, but I don't think we have one for Michelle on the bio, do we? We don't have one that's published on the website (laughs) because we are still working on changing the website. But why don't you give us the quick and dirty bio, Michelle? How did you come to yoga? How long have you been practicing? All that good stuff. Um, I started practicing in 2002, I believe, when I was still in university studying um, my kinesiology degree. And, um, yeah, fell in love with it. And then a couple of years later, went to the training in summer of 2004. And after that, I sort of wanted to couple my desire to do a lot of traveling as well as teaching. And so I traveled to uh, many different cities and just um, started teaching yoga. And so I thought, oh, I'll just do, you know, teaching for maybe one or two years traveling. And then that (laughs) turned into about 10. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so I've been sort of back and forth. And then I spent a couple of um, years back in Edmonton. And then I came back and then um, from there, that's when I started teaching with Candice here at Yoga 360. Amazing. And why did you choose yoga? You were studying kinesiology, but what made you go to that first class? It was a time of my life, I think, where I was trying a lot of new things. You know, you're young and looking for, you know, new things and discovering yourself. I think for a period of time, I actually tried like a learn to row class in university. (laughs) And it was just actually one of the um, clubs at SFU had this um, pamphlet and and one of the things that was written there was actually just like, oh, a hot yoga class. And this was at the time, I think there was maybe one or two Bikram yoga studios in the entire lower mainland, you know. And so I actually like commuted for half an hour to get to the studio and just tried it out and yeah, really loved it. So yeah, um, little Vancouver history, 2001. I think 2000 or 2001 is when the first Lululemon store opened. So yoga sort of started becoming a thing right around when you started practicing mm-hmm. in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, there was yeah. one studio in Kitsilano. It yeah. was like maybe the second floor of this like office building, had no showers, these tiny little change rooms, <laughs> carpet, you know, it was super small. And I think we actually had punch cards of all things. So yeah, when you started off, they'd just sell you this punch card and they just use their little yeah, punch. <laughs> yeah, when that was still a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dating myself right (laughs) yeah and then uh what made you decide to become a teacher from there 
At the time, uh, because I was studying my kinesiology mm-hmm. degree, I also started um, going into the, the health and fitness thing, um, industry, I should say, the health and fitness industry. <laughs> and so I was at the time teaching aerobics classes, spin classes. And then it was actually one summer that I had off from university. And uh, it was my mom who was like, oh, well, you really like this Bikram yoga thing. Why don't you go take the training? You know, my lovely mom just sort of <laughs> encouraged me to go. And then I thought, why not? I've got the time off. And so I went for this nine-week training course and did it and loved it and again. And it was just a very good supplement for me to be able to still be studying as a student, but then just teach classes uh, here and there. How long after uh, you first started yoga that you uh, decided you wanted to become a teacher? I went to the training about two and a half years after I started practicing. Probably about a year in, I thought, hey, this is pretty cool. I could do this. (laughs) Yeah, and I think at the time, too, it was very popular. Like, there's a lot of other students around who were taking the training. So it was sort of a buzz around the studio. And so you sort of talk to the teachers and realize that a lot of people are going to these trainings. Uh, When I went, it was almost 200 people. Um, The year after me, I think, was one of the biggest trainings they had ever had with, you know, three or 400 people, something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot of people. Yes. <laughs> I can't imagine that many. <laughs> a lot of people in, in a room. Yeah, all in one room, all sweating together. A hot room. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say to anybody out there that's thinking of doing teacher training for themselves? I would say go for it. You know, even if you don't end up becoming a teacher, uh, it's a great personal development experience. You know, um, I've done another training as well. I still only teach like the Bikram and the hot yoga style classes and I did another training that I never ended up teaching that style of yoga but I absolutely loved it for like a personal development just for myself to grow as a person not just about becoming a yoga teacher. Yeah and I think um, in both the trainings I've taken there are plenty of students that didn't really have plans to teach and sometimes they changed their mind by the end and sometimes it was just an opportunity for them to connect to their practice more and just to accomplish something like you said yeah mm-hmm. it's it's a really wonderful journey and a really wonderful way to push yourself a little bit so, yeah for yeah. sure mm-hmm. yeah do you think your practice uh, changed after you became a teacher I think so if anything I probably got more into my head for a while because then I was analyzing how I taught why while I was practicing, you know, I'd hear and also even now to this day, I hear things that teachers say and think, oh, that's a great thing. I want to say that in my class. Right. So I'm not as focused oh, okay, on for my like own queuing? practice. Yeah, yep. exactly. So as a newer teacher than you, how do you let go of the being in your head thing? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's tough. Right. And so it, we have to sort of practice what we preach and, you know, just to take deep breaths and you know if the thoughts come try your best to let them go but I mean it's life right we're going to be focused on other things sometimes and some days it's easier than others Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and we just have to keep on trying right I find actually the classes that are more challenging for me it's easier to let go whereas you know if I don't Mm -hmm. feel like I'm actually being pushed that edge sometimes then you can get distracted you know yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I hear you. <laughs> so what styles or classes have you taken teacher training for? Uh, just the Bikram teacher training for the hot yoga style. And it was actually an Ashtanga-based uh, teacher training that I took in Thailand on Koh Samui by a fellow named Paul Dalagan, and he did a 200-hour um, yoga line certification there. Uh, it's funny because I never... 
I never actually knew it was an Ashtanga-based training until <laughs> I had already signed up. And then I was chatting with another teacher. And she's like, oh, cool, you're doing that training. How come you did Ashtanga? And I was like, actually, I've never done Ashtanga. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're so, like, huh? <laughs> and so I had to start trying. Um, but I absolutely loved it. It's a great compliment. Um, as I said, I don't teach Ashtanga. Um, but, it, I mean, it's the base, um, the basis of all vinyasa-style classes. So, is there any type of style that you want to take uh, teacher training for that you haven't yet? I've always been attracted to uh, teaching Yin, and so I think one day I will take that. I like that sort of yeah, <laughs> calmer style. I love taking a Yin class these days as well. So I feel like yeah, Karen I has a very that. big smile on her face right now. <laughs> yeah. Everyone should teach Yin. Yeah, and we both, both myself and Michelle have taken Karen's Yin classes as. <laughs> A number of our listening audience as well, too, so they know exactly what to expect with Karen, and it's a very enjoyable class. Oh, thank you, guys. Yeah, I love teaching it, and I would be thrilled if you took training. And I think um, I noticed at the studio that the more of us that take training, it doesn't really take away from each other. Like, I just finished teacher training, and there's no sort of oh, no, you're going to take my classes away. It's more so, oh, cool, there's a new teacher on the roster. We can learn from each other. We can grow together, and we can make our overall teaching at the studio a better experience. And it's just, yeah, so supportive. Yeah, yeah of course. It's a, yeah, I was going to say a very supportive yeah. community here. Yeah. You know, I think everyone's just all in for doing more, right? Of course, it's all learning, as we were just talking about, personal development as well as teacher development. But mm-hmm. for everybody benefits from it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and all three of us uh, tonight before recording this podcast actually just took uh, a yin yang class taught by Kim. So, <laughs> so very enjoyable, and we're all very zen right now. Yeah, <laughs> it was just what I needed. <laughs> um, so, do you have any favorite postures to practice lately? To practice, I love recline twists. My ah. favorite kind is the uh, twisted roots. Mm-hmm. It just sort of works well with my body, but I just find that's a range of motion that's been quite stiff for me mm. lately and so it just feels so good <laughs> ditto <laughs> and then what about any favorite postures to teach so also <laughs> the spine twist you know but the bikram spine twist of course is different it's a little bit more active but um i do really like there's a lot of little elements that you can really help to intensify not just the actual spine twist but hip opening shoulder opening you know and working on form um, these days I've been sort of trying to encourage students to work more on their core when they're doing this as well so it's not as passive um, but it's a tough time in class if you know for people who know the Bikram series it comes right at the very end when most people tend to be very tired right so of course they're just like I'm just going to be lazy in this and <laughs> relax into it but yeah if you can yeah. really activate in it it feels wonderful yeah, and the, I think the more you activate your core as well, the deeper your twist will be and the safer your mm-hmm. body will be in oh, the twist. exactly. Yeah, so is yeah. that what you say to students when you're teaching it? Is that what you're pointing out or is there any other tips that you're giving them? <laughs> um, no, more just to yeah, activate core strength and to find that, that you can develop your strength within that to um, be able to twist deeper um, instead of just falling into um, your flexibility. Also, again, at the end of the class, um, as you said, you can, you know, maybe harm yourself if you're just sort of falling into it. Okay. Any least favorites? <laughs> to practice or teach. <laughs> <laughs> I've always had a strong, oh, I've always had a strong dislike for locust pose in Bikram. Oh. So 
Um, Stephen, are you familiar with this one? <laughs> I, I'm sure I've done it, and is probably why I don't like Bikram. <laughs> we could probably add it to the list, but yeah. yeah, I'm sure I have. Let's just revert to when I'm talking about postures, I usually just straight up teach it over in the microphone. So why don't you set up Locust for us? <laughs> uh, so you'd bring your hands, palms to face the floor, and bring your arms underneath your body so that they're oh, invisible yes, underneath yes, your stomach. <laughs> yes, and then from there, you lift first your right leg, then your left, then both legs at the same time. So it's a spine strengthening series posture the second one in the Bikram series Um, and that one has always just been very challenging for me to get my legs up half an inch even you know and I just (laughs) don't know where I can find the strength and when I first started teaching actually there was another teacher there who taught very regularly who could actually get her legs all the way up so she'd be balancing only on her arms um, and then actually bring her feet over top of her head to touch the top oh. of her head into a backward bend. Oh okay, yeah. that's just showing off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She also was an opera singer, so she would sometimes sing at the end of the class. So she was absolutely lovely. Oh, yeah, delightful. Yeah, she'd have a party trick and sing at the end of class. It was great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so with that locust pose, your palms are down on, mm-hmm. on the mat. Yeah, I think that's... Well, Probably uh, the reason why I don't like that is because I feel the hyperextension kind of mm. happening in my arms there. Uh, like, I'm a jujitsu guy, so I always say that I'm getting arm barred mm. in that position all the time. Yeah. That's what I'm feeling. So I, so I think that's a big reason why I don't like that one. If you consider that posture, though, because your arms are on the floor, it will technically, you won't be able to hyperextend mm-hmm. unless you put over put uh, put too much pressure onto your elbows and not on the rest of your arms right so if you are equalizing the pressure between the entire length of your arms so between your fingertips all the way to your shoulders you shouldn't be able to hyperextend your arms and it's actually very good to open up all of the joints yeah see i'm just doing it wrong i'm doing the dude bro version <laughs> i think it's a very important po- i mean as much as i say I dislike that one it's i feel like it's a very important posture especially in our modern times everyone's sitting on their phones overusing you know your thumbs and your fingers and all those intrinsic muscles in your hands it's a very very good posture to open up the range of motion again and our elbows are always bent right so it's a great one to maintain the range of motion or increase it again right um into a healing range of motion. Yeah, and it's never been a really easy posture for me either. My excuse, and it is an excuse, is just <laughs> I think my chest gets in the way, which is, there's some legitimacy to that. Um, but what would you say to Stephen and I to make that posture more accessible for us? What would your tips be? <laughs> um, I've been suggesting a lot to my students these days because I notice a lot of people have trouble with this posture um, to not force getting your arms underneath your body. So try your best to get the arms straight and flat on the floor or even if they're way outside of your body, like beside you instead of underneath. Oh, okay. So you don't actually have to have them underneath your, your body. Then. Ideally, you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but if you need to, keep your arms beside you with your palms still facing down, arms as straight as you can, and then eventually get the arms under. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, but doesn't Candace also have the saying that the, the, the postures we hate the most are the ones that we need the most? <laughs> or yes. something to that effect? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a lot of us say that because it's true. Um, and what you're saying, to your point, it's one of your least favorite postures, but it is so needed. So, mm-hmm. so needed. So, yeah, but I, from my perspective, and I'm curious about your perspective, 
if it's a posture that I hate that doesn't feel good in my body, I would rather do that with a proper modification than not do it at all or do it improperly. Are you on the same page? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. can always do a little bit right. Like I know there's sort of, we have a saying as well in the um, Bikram community, if you can do it, you know, whether you do it 1% right or 99% right, as long as you're trying the right way, you're getting 100% benefit. Mm-hmm. So it's not about how much you do or how far you get into the posture. You just do a little bit, but the right way, and you should get the benefits, yeah. Yeah, so in this situation, if your arms are a foot away from your hips to start with, but they're two inches closer the next day, you're, you're getting there. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're getting yeah. 100% of the benefit. Might not be the next day, but <laughs> <laughs> next month, maybe. Sure. <laughs> Do you have any memorable students that stick out in your brain? One who sticks out was actually when I used to teach in Hong Kong. And at the time, I was in my very early 20s. And, you know, thinking I have all the energy in the world. And, you know, <laughs> things don't come too difficultly at that, you know, age in your life. <laughs> this is almost 20 years ago for me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there was this man who I'm just going to call him a grandpa because he was this, you know, old little man who probably in about his 70s and he would come so consistently but didn't speak very much English. So he would just come in, do his practice and then, you know, go. And he just was very consistent with that. I think, if anything, he was very memorable because uh, when I would practice near him and I would be suffering in class and it would just be so difficult, he was just so calm and so stoic and just again, continuously consistent with his practice. Like he wasn't able to do everything to a, you know, big depth in terms of his, uh, the postures, but he was able to just keep on going in the class. And I thought that was great. The consistency, the endurance, and just the dedication to his practice. Yeah. Yeah, Consistency is the key to mastery Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. And I know we have a few students at our studio that, and I told them this, if I'm having a bad day or feeling really dramatic, I will purposely set up near them because they're just, like you said, so calm Mm -hmm. and stoic and and consistent. And um, you really feed off that. So I I like that that's the student that sticks out in your mind Mm -hmm. because the other question that we like to ask is, is my teacher judging me? Have you ever judged a student before? Always. (laughs) (laughs) You finally got somebody to admit to that. (laughs) Although I feel like that was mostly sarcasm. (laughs) Yes, it was probably all sarcasm. Don't bring me down from this high right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, if anything, when we see students going through their struggles, we feel more compassionate. And I want to convey as much as I can, like, I feel you, like, I know what you're going through. But sometimes it doesn't come across, right? They're probably just, um, doesn't come across. They're probably just thinking, oh, here's this teacher who's yelling at me and I'm struggling (laughs) and suffering today, right? But it's more just like, hey, we all know it's tough. Um, You know, it'll be okay. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, the answer we've got to that a couple of times is that uh, never judging but assessing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when we give adjustments or corrections, it's not because we're trying to nitpick at someone just to criticize. We're trying to help somebody get the most out of their yoga practice as they can, um, or, or of course, if something harmful is going to happen. But most of the time, it's just like, hey, you're doing great. Let me help you get deeper. Yeah, it's not a, a judgment, but just uh, trying to be helpful. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think students don't come to a yoga practice to not seek growth. You yeah. know, not it's, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I think um, 
chatting to other teachers, you know, and Candice as well, that a lot of the feedback is when students are like, oh, I really liked your class because you picked on me more in a mm-hmm. sense, right? So a lot of students actually like to be seen um, in a class and given corrections, yeah. you know. Yeah, I like the attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I will point out, um, if you're a student that's listening and you don't love attention in class or if you don't get attention in class and you have a question, please ask us after class. Um, do you like when students ask you questions, Michelle? <laughs> of course. Yeah, I love it. You know, it also feels like, oh, people actually were listening, you know, because sometimes yeah. I feel like maybe, I, you know, I'm talking so much, especially in a Bikram style class, we are just talking pretty much the entire time. And, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, we often say, oh, yeah, if you catch even 50% of it, great, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and sometimes it's interesting you ask that question about judging. Sometimes I almost feel like students are judging me as a teacher. <laughs> All know? the time. <laughs> exact same answer, right? <laughs> and so, you know, I'm just like, oh, why, why did they, um, you know, were they rolling their eyes at me or this or that? And some, then they'll come to class after come to me after class and say, oh, that was a wonderful class. What did you mean by, you know, ABC? How can I adjust with my postures or something? So, and then it it makes me feel good that, oh, well, let's let's try to work on that. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. great. Yeah, and a lot of times that engagement after the class is like the best positive feedback you can have mm-hmm. as a yeah. teacher, Yeah, right? I, I was thinking about it more recently because I've started teaching more um, express classes versus the 90-minute Bikram, and that's what I'm more used to. I've more typically taught a lot of Bikram in my previous teaching. Um, but, you know, it's evolved, of course, over the years. And so I notice there's a lot less time to give that extra attention or the extra help or to pause and be able to give a demonstration or talk um, about certain postures in the express class versus the Bikram. So the Bikram, you have more time. So it's nice when people actually come and chat with you after because they're like, oh, now I have time to describe what I was trying to um, convey during the class, you know, when we don't have that moment. Yeah, or even just um, really break down the posture with the student, too, in a way that mm-hmm. you can't do when you have 30 other people to be watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you have any pet peeves about teaching yoga? Or, or practicing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anything at the moment. You know, it's you're all too, good. Nice I know. Well, it really <laughs> is. all Like, the tough stuff is actually the good stuff, too, yeah. you know? So that's the thing I think I've learned over time. So I Well, and I'm just laughing because I feel like at least 40% of my co-working relationship with Michelle is me being anxious and irritated about stuff and her calming me down. So thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) But you are really good at having perspective and and seeing a new light, Um, which kind of carries me into my other question. What do you do when you're not at the studio, Michelle? (laughs) (laughs) Trying to stay calm while taking care of my two young children. (laughs) And husband. (laughs) And who needs the most taken care of out of the three of them? (laughs) No comment. (laughs) Yeah, um, you've had some really interesting advice for me in in my teaching style and just interacting style with students that um, you you said comes from um, researching how to parent and how to talk to toddlers and things like that. Do you have any of those nuggets you'd like to share now that you can remember? (laughs) Mm, on the spot. Uh. <laughs> One of the ones I remembered is you suggested that I try not to approach cues with a negative. Like, don't say, don't do this. Instead of saying, don't do this, 
do this. Yeah, right. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, for toddlers as well <laughs> as yoga students, right, if you say don't do something, you don't really focus on the negative. So there's always a way, there's almost always a way that you can positively spin a phrase, you know. So instead of saying uh, don't uh, bend your leg, you can say lock your knee or whatever it yeah. is, right? Yeah. So that's not really a great example. but I, I mean, sure it is. Instead <laughs> of saying don't let your leg bend, really engage mm-hmm. your muscles and lift your kneecap up, lock your knee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the brain interprets it better. There, there's no yeah. fight. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then another one, you've, uh, another one that you've talked about is um, I think one of your little guys is really good at regulating his emotions with mm-hmm. some deep breaths. And I think you've used those same tactics on me. Do you want to share those too? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is just about taking deep breaths, right? It's just um, uh, we have something that we call the calming corner. Um, it's not something that I invented, but something I researched and actually uh, we purchased for my toddler, which is called a calming corner. And, you know, he just learns to practice his calming strategies, you know, and it's just about becoming aware of your emotions. And before reacting to them, can you pause and find your calming strategy? And, you know, I say in my yoga class, I typically will guide with breath, but there are many different strategies um, with my toddler's thing. I mean, it (laughs) doesn't quite equate in the yoga classroom, Um, things like, oh, read a book or do a puzzle or sing a song even. So, you know, <laughs> could imagine if somebody just started singing in class, but hey, if it works. <laughs> I mean, I've done it in pyro. <laughs> yeah, that's true, right? Yeah. So, yeah, just trying not to overreact um, yeah. to what's going on. So it's interesting because I find it way easier to do in the yoga classroom versus with my toddlers when, you know, he's having a big tantrum. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, every situation is different. And that's what we sort of talk about, like, you know, the principles that you learn and practice in a yoga studio or in a yoga class. Can you do those things uh, outside in the rest of your life, right? When you're stuck in, you know, if you don't have kids, it might not be when they're having tantrums, but maybe when you're driving in rush hour traffic, you know, how do you not overreact uh, to all the construction on the road, right? (laughs) So any other hobbies or interests you'd like to share? Uh, Right now I'm actually re- studying a lot to recertify for my massage therapy uh, diploma. So I actually studied in Alberta, but it's got different regulations there. So I actually have to take the exams again in BC. So I just recently started studying all that again so that I'll be prepared to do the exams. So and my other hobby is studying. <laughs> Doesn't sound like fun, and it's not. <laughs> I, that's my kind of hobby. Yeah, so it's okay. And yeah, maybe a little preview for us. I think Michelle and I have talked a little bit about the potential of a workshop coming up that will tie in that magic. <laughs> yeah, we actually discussed, and um, I've chatted with Candice as well, and we might get Allie on board because she's also yeah. doing her massage therapy yeah. um, degree. Uh, Sorry, she's also doing her massage therapy studies. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we're thinking of doing something called a yin and massage workshop. So, yeah, would (laughs) you like to join me the first? Yeah, he's already signed up. That sounds interesting, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you want me to uh, volunteer myself to get a big for that one? So this is something that um, a fellow teacher started doing. I don't know if she was the first one or not, but I 
I was first introduced to it in Alberta. Um, and so she was holding these workshops. And she's also a yin teacher and a re- registered massage therapist there. So she would hold these two-hour classes where massage therapists would essentially wander the room and massage you while you're in these relaxing yin postures. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Yeah. We'll take a moment and let everyone go, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so maybe a preview. We'd love to do that one day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can see that going either way. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. You have to like massage and yin, right? Yeah. But I feel like those are that's, two things that lots of people true. like. Yeah. 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 So uh, we'll bring it back to the yoga side of um, the, the conversation and a question that I ask of every instructor. <laughs> Feet together or feet apart? I teach Bikram, and traditionally that practice is feet together. Yes. Stephen does not like feet together. Oh, can I ask why? (laughs) (laughs) Let's analyze your practice then. (laughs) I I find it rather uncomfortable, anatomy-wise, in my body. And also, I really do not like having my bare ankle bones touch each other. It's an irrational phobia I've had. Since, since as long as I can remember. So I think they knocked together when I was very young Mm -hmm. and that kind of just, uh, just stuck with me as like, even just thinking about it right now. Wow. So like a young, it makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) It was a physical trauma you had when you were younger and then now it's sort of just hasn't been dealt with yet. (laughs) So Mm. what's your advice to Stephen in a Bikram class then, or another class if he's being asked to put his feet together? I mean, it depends on the anatomy, so I would probably have to... It depends on the anatomy, so I probably would have to see Stephen do the posture to see (laughs) what is going on, because, you know, some people's feet, you know, everybody's feet are constructed slightly differently. So um, I admittedly, I don't know if I should be saying this in a recording, (laughs) I admittedly have my heels slightly apart because I have very wide feet um, at my toe edges. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, I have, you know, a little bit of a bunion. So it works to have my heels a little bit apart to actually have my feet in alignment. Whereas if I put my heels completely together, then everything right up to my hip starts to have a bit of turnout. So that's my personal practice. So if Stephen, maybe you have bigger, you know, inner ankle bones or something like that, that might be causing that, you know, maybe you could have your feet slightly apart or, you know, we give a lot of directions in the um, yoga class that are generalizations, right? Of course, because we can be teaching to up to 40 students at the moment in time. (laughs) And so, of course, we just give one blanket statement. And then sometimes we can, you know, give individual um, adjustments, but oftentimes it's like, oh, feet together, it's an approximation in a sense, mm-hmm. if yes. that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I, I do adjust it as, as much as I can in, in class as well, too, but there, there are some postures where, uh, where you have to have your feet as close as, as possible, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I just kind of work my way through it. So. Yeah. So I'll cut in here a little bit and say quickly, if you haven't noticed already, we're recording in a slightly different spot in the studio than usual, so you might hear some noises you don't usually hear. Uh, And with that, let's re-ask a question. (laughs) Um, So you mentioned 40-person classes. Do you have a preference between big classes and small classes, or uh, do you have a perfect number of students in a class for you? I like just under 20 students. So, you know, 15 to 20 is nice because then I feel like I 
am able to know every single person in class um, and then be able to give some individual attention to each student as well as have enough people to sort of give good energy in the class. I find sometimes if there's less people, and especially if people are a little bit more tired that day, it's a lot of cheerleading in the class, you know, to try and get everyone to keep going and um, get the energy up. Um, but that said, I also like a super full class. So up to, you know, up to 40 people, 35 to 40 people, because then the energy just flows. The only issue is I, for myself, I don't feel like I'm able to know everybody's name in the room and be able to give that individual attention at that point in time. But the energy of a fuller room is wonderful. It just sort of carries itself, you know, and the, the class just goes. And yeah. even if it's tough, people are still going and working hard and strong and, um, yeah. Feeding off of each other, like that student from Hong Kong you remember. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 Do you remember the first class you ever taught as a yoga teacher? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I actually do. It's funny that you say that. It would definitely be at the Richmond studio, their mm. first old location. Mm. Um, unfortunately, the studio doesn't exist anymore. And would that um, be, uh, be one of the first uh, uh, Bikram in the lower mainland? By that time, there was quite a few. Okay. I would probably say at least half a dozen, if not more. So it grew very quickly. So when I started practicing, I think maybe there were two studios around, and then they just popped up all over the place. I think I was probably so nervous it was such a blur. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing really stands out for me. No. I'm curious, as such a long-time teacher, do you still get nervous sometimes? Oh, for sure. Well, the funny thing is, (laughs) as I hadn't taught a physical yoga class, I should say, for probably two years because of COVID, um, the restrictions and stuff. Um, And so when I first started teaching again at the studio, I actually started reviewing my dialogue and figuring, and this is, you know, what we use to teach uh, for Bikram classes. And so... Yeah, I felt very nervous actually teaching my first class back, but then it just sort of was like riding a bike and it felt okay. But uh, yeah, for sure there are classes I get nervous in. Um, Sometimes, you know, depending on what goes on in my day, just like we say, you know, try to let go of your day, but sometimes I can walk into a class and take that in with me. But once I start teaching, it's like practicing. A calm just comes over me and I'm able to just get into it. You know, some days it takes a little bit longer than others, but after a couple minutes, it's like, it just feels so good. Like I get as much, I think, from practicing as I do teaching, um, at least mentally and emotionally, I think from a class maybe not the physical stretching right yeah, but uh, I certainly do too mm-hmm. I get that for sure yeah I think often as teachers we uh, invite students to let go of whatever happened in their day before they came to the room but I think a lot of times when we say that we're speaking to ourselves <laughs> <laughs> I mean there are so many classes where I'm teaching but really in a sense talking to myself yeah. because of all the things that might be going on in my life about letting go and whatnot. And as we sort of were talking about before, just knowing, trying to convey that to other students, like, hey, I know what you're going through because I'm literally going through it myself as well, or whatever it is in that moment, right? So, And 
Along those lines, do you practice what you teach? <laughs> <laughs> I try my best. Uh, as I said, on the mat, I feel like I can be pretty focused and calm. And, uh, off the mat, sometimes, depending on the situation, not so much. But trying my best. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and then along those lines, how often do you practice? It varies. Probably... <laughs> I try to practice about three times a week. Yeah. I think. I think you're hitting that lately. Yeah. <laughs> From what I see. Yeah. It comes and goes, but I yeah, I mean now especially one of the good things that has come out of having the restrictions and stuff is having the online classes and the on demand. So I'll do those classes when I'm not able to get to the studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always been a been a really good option, especially for my practice as well too. Just mm-hmm. having ha- having the convenience of being able to do it from home if I didn't want to come into the studio that night. So. Yeah, I mean that said, I do still always prefer to come to the studio and practice. Like even you know, I know a lot of people like doing yin at home, for example. But I actually really love still coming in and doing the yin practice uh, in the studio. I know a lot of people prefer the Bikram in studio for obvious reasons, just to have the heat, right? You know, most people don't have a, a room that they can heat to 40 degrees and 40% humidity. So, Is there any particular person that has had the biggest impact or influence on your teaching? I think pretty much every class that I've taken, I've taken something from. Yeah, and I know you've taken a lot of my classes recently, and even though you are... Um, a much more experienced advanced instructor than I am. You even mentioned to me there is something in my teaching that um, you really liked. And that made me feel really good that you were able to take something from me. But, um, you know, I think it's a really good lesson to just be a sponge that everyone always has something to offer you as a practitioner, as a teacher, as a person. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's always something you can learn from somebody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a good attitude to have. <laughs> So we're going to start drawing this episode to a close right now. Is there anything else you want to touch on there, Michelle? I think I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've got a lot of amazing information for you. If you guys haven't taken Michelle's classes yet, please do. Like I said, she can even calm down my anxious self most of the time. (laughs) Um, And she is just such a wealth of knowledge. So yeah, hit up our classes. Uh, And thank you so much for joining us on the episode tonight. We are so happy to have you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. It was fun. Yes, thank you, Michelle. And I have not taken one of your classes yet, but I am true to my word and I will one day. One day is very vague. (laughs) I thought maybe you were going to say soon, but... (laughs) No, no, I left that one um, open. (laughs) Open for interpretation. But I made the same promise to Allie, and I definitely eventually Mm -hmm. took one of her classes. So so you will see me in one of your classes as well, too. It might be in the uh, little quiet corner or the the calmness (laughs) corner, as you called it. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) All right, and I want to say thank you to the listening audience for tuning in tonight. And if anybody wants to get a hold of us, how would they do that, Karen? You can give us a call at the studio, send us an email, or comment on social media and let us know if there's any episodes you'd like to hear or just any feedback. We'd also love if you could throw a comment on uh, this episode or the podcast in general on whichever platform you're listening to the podcast on. Um, It's one of the best ways to help grow a podcast and only takes a moment, so we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. I think that's it, so have a wonderful rest of your night. Okay, thanks everyone. Have a good night.